Today on the TalentCast, we answer the age-old question, how often should you send stuff to candidates and prospects you like to keep warm? The answer should not surprise you in even a little bit. We'll be right back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the podcast dedicated to helping you get smarter at recruiting and hiring. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of employer brand and modern recruiting so that you, yes you, can hire better talent. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? I'm your host, James Ellis, and you can find me on Twitter at The War for Talent. That's at The War for Talent. Or on the TalentCast website. Got a question? Got a topic? Got an idea? Tweet me. I'd love to hear from you. Ready to roll up your sleeves and think big? Great. Let's get to it. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here. Uh, housekeeping, going to be in Houston next week, something like that? The first. It's, yeah, that's next week uh, for Talent Management Summit. I think it's called, and doing the same thing again in Atlanta. So Google me in Houston, and there I am. Um, it's also, I'll put it in the show notes. And I'm booked for ERE. So what's that, April? San Diego? Oh, no, not San Diego in, this, in the spring. Gosh, no, not that. Anyway, uh, and in talks to do things in London, if you can believe it. So uh, if you are doing conferences and you are setting up an event, I definitely want to talk to you. I definitely want to come out and speak because apparently once a week in this microphone, just not enough for me. Yes, there's something wrong with me. I know. I know. Everybody knows. It's okay. You no need to point it out. Anyway, so this comes from a posting on Facebook, I believe in the employer brand forum, where someone, and I'm not going to name names or I'm not going to call anybody out because that's completely unfair. There's really no need to do that. Uh, I mean, I'm a jerk, but I'm not that jerk. <laughs> um, but the question was, how often do you send content? How regularly do you send content to your prospects? And it was a poll. So it said once a week, you could click that, or once a month, you could click that, quarterly or annually. Now, first off, annually? <laughs> Yikes! Setting the bar nice and low. Come on, <laughs> if you really think, if we walk back and think, what was the purpose of this process to keep this lead warm? And we think this is a candidate who has potential or has talent, or we would li- or ha- is a potential match, and we definitely want to engage with them, and we definitely want to get them excited by the brand. The answer should not be we will talk to you once a year. That's the sort of thinking. I mean, I you know who I want to talk to once a year? The tax person, right? Whoever does my accountant, whoever does my tax, I I only want to see you once a year, and frankly, it is a chore. I don't want to be involved. If I if once a year is your cadence, rethink things. Um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, now my glib answer is, you send stuff when it's worth sharing, right? If you are putting together an editorial calendar, and I always think that editorial calendars are a bane of our existence, and content marketing existence, though frankly, they seem to have swallowed that pill and have figured out how to manage that, and I get it, and that's just part of how they work, but editorial calendars make me crazy. Editorial calendars said, every week we need three tweets, one Facebook post, one LinkedIn post, one Glassdoor post, one blog post or whatever your math is. If you're a very big company, maybe it's three tweets a day, one Facebook post a day, one LinkedIn post every two days, one Glassdoor post every week, whatever. However your cadence works, you've developed some sort of cadence. And every week, your employer brand specialist, your content marketer, your whoever's in charge of this process opens that calendar and faces the dreaded blank calendar. And they go, okay, I got to fill that up. And depending on how often your cadence works, they have to do the math. Okay, I need five tweets for the week and one Facebook post and one Glassdoor post. And okay, I have, okay, hmm, I have my set objective here is to focus on how many posts I can make. Well then, 
as a human being, I'm going to optimize my process. I'm going to figure out, I'm going to write one story and I'm going to write it once for Facebook and I'm going to reshare it on Glassdoor and I'm going to reshare it on LinkedIn and I'm going to reshare it on Twitter. Okay. One post got me half the way there. Whew. Now I just have to write four more tweets. Ooh, I know what I'll do. I will rewrite the first tweet about that big Facebook post in a different way and put it two days later and no one will notice. And then, okay, I'm like, oh man, I'm almost home. Great. And I'm going to write two or three more tweets and I'm there. Maybe one will be happy blanks day, you know, whether it's Valentine's day or nurses day or hamburger day or whatever it is for you, you know, whatever it is that week. Um, and you grind it out. And I think that's crazy right? It is the wrong thinking. It is agency thinking. Now, I have find nothing wrong with, well, that's not true. I find plenty wrong with agencies, but it's one of those things where agencies work the way they work. They're working towards their incentives. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Just like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. There's no wrong people here. There's no bad guy in the situation. Agencies are looking to optimize process. Why? Because they promise to deliver you something and they need to figure out how to deliver it to you as quickly and easily as possible to maximize their profits. That's their job. Just like your job is to quickly and easily maximize the number of people applying for a job. Whatever your, be whatever your metric is, whether it's number of people applying, uh, conversion rates, uh, quality of hire, whatever your, your metric is that you're evaluated on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis, you will optimize towards that. That's kind of what the magic of metrics do. They force you to think, okay, how do I make this number better? Now, most times when we look at those numbers, we think, okay, I got to, I got to write better. I got to do this better. I got to, great. And that's fantastic. And that's what those metrics are supposed to do. They're supposed to increase the quality of your work, increase the focus of what you're trying to achieve so that you achieve the outcome better. So you're not wasting your time on stuff that doesn't matter. The problem comes is once you've done things better, now you are forced to game the system, to over-optimize, to find ways of, okay, how do I trim corners? How do I trim more than just the fat but start to trim the lean because I got to get this number down? What does it take? What does it take? What does it take? It's the same kind of thinking that businesses apply to their quarterly numbers. What's it going to take to juice the numbers to hit my quarterly metrics whether or not it supports the business long-term? You optimize and game the system depending on what your metrics are. So... This editorial calendar comes from the agency thinking. It comes from process thinking. Really, if you boil it right down to it, it comes from content marketing thinking who have always labored under this assumption, rightly or wrongly, that no one seems to understand what it is they do or why they do it. So they're going to make the work obvious. What they're going to do is they're going to make as much structure around their work as obvious as possible. When I ran a content team in my agency days, I had 19 kids working for me. And if you're listening and you're not, I'm sorry if I still refer to you as kids, even though you've all grown up and you're all incredibly good at what you do. But in my head, you're so, still sort of my, you know, the kids. Um, but the conversation was about tweets, for example. And it doesn't take any work to write a tweet, right? Back then, it was still 140 characters. How much time did it take to find a link, write something up about it in 140 characters, maybe throw in a hashtag or a picture, and bango, there you go. And it's easy, all things considered, right? Compared to digging a ditch, compared to doing open heart surgery, writing a tweet is relatively easy. Writing a good tweet is not. But it's very hard to measure the quality of tweets. It's very hard to measure the quality of service, right? You have a company where you have uh, consumer metrics and you say, okay, what's our quality scores and what's our customer service scores? And they analyze them to death and they show all the numbers are going up. And did what we just say about optimizing the metrics to always make the numbers go up, to make it look like you're doing right. I have, if I have a problem with my cable company, and unfortunately, like all human beings, I have to deal with a cable company, um, 
when they ask me after my service if they'd like to take a survey, their surveys are organized such that it's very hard for me to say, here are the 17 things you guys do wrong on a daily basis. They're all about, did the person say your name? Did the person thank you for calling? Did the person um, resolve the situation? Did the person uh, thank you for being a customer? You know, there's a checklist of things that every customer service person is expected to do, even though they do it by rote, and I don't feel like they mean it or they're thanking me for being a customer or anything. They're just doing the script. But the survey is designed to make it say, yes, we've met some criteria. We've, we've established some criteria. We've built training around that criteria to guarantee we're making that criteria, and we are measuring to make sure we're making that criteria. Does the fact that the person say my name three times in a phone call, does the fact that they thank me for being a customer, does the th fact that, um, I don't know, uh, that the call got reserved, that they, that they had to reboot this, they appropriately reboot, rebooted my box or whatever it is they did and solved the problem. Yes, and thus they have done their job and they have achieved some sort of perfect customer service score. The fact that the whole music was like flutes and piccolos and drumming in my eardrum, which by the way, why is hold music so damn shrill? There's, there needs to be all bass. It needs to be like whale, slow whale, ooh, it should be nice soft music. Hold music should not be sharp and make it feel like there's a pickaxe going in my eardrum. Why do we do this? Anyway, that's a, that's a bit of a tangent. You're welcome. They don't talk about the fact that my service seems to go out on a semi-regular basis. It doesn't talk about I had to be on hold for 20 minutes to get somebody on the phone. It doesn't ask me if I was thrilled with my service. It doesn't ask me if I think that the, what the fees I'm paying are fair for the value I'm getting. They never ask those questions because they know the answers are bad. If you know the answers are bad, you don't ask the questions. So they've optimized around how do we make metrics that make sense, that we can optimize for, that we can train for, that we can check the boxes, and away we go. Now, the problem is, is that they think they've done amazing customer service, and you and I know, oh, God, cable company, no, right? No one likes to deal with their cable company. No one likes to deal with an airline. No, no one likes to deal with their cell phone service. There are certain industries, for whatever reason, breed hatred or d deep loathing, and yet somehow they all think they're doing a great job. Why? Because their customer service metrics go up. That's the problem. We can't quantify easily quali uh, the, uh, the quality of that and the value of the service, so we break it down into metrics we make that make sense for us. Things if we can't figure out how to see the value, we break it down into metrics we can measure and say that's close enough. And then, of course, having done that, we have to optimize towards them. So no one asks if this tweet, this blog post, this email to a candidate, this offer letter, this whatever was good or appropriate or smart or cleverly written or achieving its goal. You measure the inputs. How many did you do? And that is the problem with the editorial calendar. It measures the inputs and not the outputs. So if you've got a good content marketing strategy that says, okay, we need to reach out to more candidates to let them know about our amazing employer brand. And by the way, you should be doing that, right? We're all on that page, right? We're all in agreement there. If you want to extend your reach, what you measure is not the number of tweets. What you measure are how many people are sharing the tweets. How many, was the tweet good enough? Was the email good enough? Was the content good enough that people change their mind about you or they increase their positive sentiment about you? That's the metric you should be focused on. The number, the volume, the work inputs is immaterial. If it takes you two hours to write a tweet, okay, that's a lot of time for 100, now 280 characters, right? That seems like a, a way too long a time. But if it's a killer tweet and it does the job and it 
comes up, it really engages with people and it turns into something powerful, then yes, that's the value. But when you focus on how many tweets per day, how many emails per week, how many emails per month, if you're focusing on the inputs, you miss the value. You focus on cutting corners, on achieving, hitting your X number of tweets and emails and Facebook posts per week, per month, per year, instead of, am I achieving my outcome? Am I reaching, and ch reaching more people? And am I changing their mind and increasing the sentiment about our brand? Which is my job. So far, so good? Fantastic. But if you can't get enough of this stuff, I have some news. You can bring the James Ellis experience to your event or company. Just go to jamesellis.us and learn about all the kinds of custom presentations I can build and deliver for you or your team. But if it's time to get some hands-on help with your employer branding, recruiting, and hiring, either from the ground up or some strategic support, I would love to help. Just reach out to Proactive Talent or ProactiveTalent.com. That's where I work, and we can help you hire better. Cool? Cool. All right, let's get back to it. Which brings us to this, the glib answer of how often a cadence should I be sending those emails out to my candidates who I want to keep warm? The answer is no. The answer is you talk when you have something worth saying. More to the point, to steal uh, 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 Seth Godin's idea of it should be remarkable, meaning the literal meaning of remarkable, meaning it's worth commenting on to remark about. If it's worth sharing, that is something you should send. And if you have nothing worth saying, send nothing. I will retell a story about a wonderful company who make products I really like. This is a bag company, and I won't name names because again, that's rude, and again, I'm a jerk, but I'm not that jerk. They make great bags. And the best part of their bags is that they really think this stuff through, right? Not only that, they're proud of how much thought they put into their bags. They put, they're proud into how much work and how much consideration went into their bag. How do I know that? Because for every product they make, they make like three videos that do a complete 10 to 20 minute teardown of that, of that bag. Here's this pocket. It closes with a magnet. It closes with this kind of zipper. This zipper leads into this kind of fabric, which, I mean, when I'm researching a bag, they tell me everything. <laughs> Trust me, when the bag, if I buy it and it shows up, I know exactly what I'm getting. And by the way, this leads to lowering uncertainty, which is a podcast you should have heard last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was. It may not be a surprise when I get the bag. I may know exactly what I'm getting, but I feel so freaking confident when I buy, when I hit buy and hit purchase and give them my credit card number and know it's four days before that thing lands on my doorstep. Man, I feel good about that. It's not a mystery. They really care about their bags. Trust me, I like this company. I bought a suitcase from them five years ago I still use. I just bought a backpack I'm freaking in love with. Great bags. Why in God's name are they emailing me every day with new product announcements? It's a backpack. Now, I'm not saying I dropped 500 bucks on it. It's not a uh, Gucci. It's not a, uh, it's, it's a high-end. It's, it's not a Birkin. It's, it's a bag. It's a backpack. It's mostly nylon. There's some nice zippers. It's a nice bag. It cost me like 80 bucks. Why are you emailing me every day? Who buys bags every day? These are, hey, this bag that you already bought, it's on sale. Yeah, I know I bought it. <laughs> I'm good. I'm done. I don't need to talk to you about a bag for a while. Last time I, I just bought this bag, bought it for myself for my birthday. It looked just this how my life is. Um, my kid thinks she bought it for me, so shh, don't tell her. She's not four yet. Um, last time I bought a, anything from them was five years ago when I bought that suitcase. My cadence for dealing with them is on a 
Olympic level. I mean, we're talking World Cup level. Okay, World Cup's coming. Maybe get to buy another bag. Yay. Why are they emailing me every day? And when they email me every day, why are they emailing, emailing me with a sale for a product I already have? None of what they have to say is worth saying. It's worth sharing. It's worth commenting on. It's not worth my time. And while it's easy for them to write those emails and send them to a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million people, whoever's on their list, and it's good for them so they get to mark up all their outputs, they get, or mark up all the inputs. They say, look at all the people we reached. Look at all the people we reached. What they're doing is annoying the hell out of me, and I have to unsubscribe. And that leads to a whole other conversation of why the hell do I have to unsubscribe three different times? Why does it take you 48 hours to unsubscribe me from a system? It's email. I click the button. You're done, right? Good? No? Ugh. That's not what we're talking about today. There's no reason why they should tell me. The Gap, a clothing store company, uh, clothing store company. Those, that's not a sentence. A clothing company, a clothing store, a retailer of fine, mostly cotton garments. Um, when you get on their list, it's an email a day. Here's our new khakis. You know how new they are? They say 1969 on the back. <laughs> They're proud of the fact that they brought khakis from 1969. Their product line changes once every season at best. Why do they email me every day? It's a sale. It's a thing. How often am I buying pants? How often am I buying shirts? Now, maybe some people, that's cool and that's great. But at no point did they say, hey, send me the monthly sale and I'm engaged. But if you email me every day, you're going to annoy the hell out of me. So the fact that it's easy to email everybody very quickly, very fast, very simply is good for your metrics of look how many people I reached. But what you really should be measuring is look how many people I made happy. And the answer will be, None. In fact, if you measured appropriately, if you compare the number of people you reached and the number of people you made happy to the number of people you pissed off because, oh my God, another email I have to delete? How many times do I have to unsubscribe from these people? Guess what? You pissed off more people than you made happy. Guess what? Net effect negative zero. Negatives. It's bad. You've, you've made things worse. Until you have something worth saying, don't say anything. It's like if, if you go on Quora, and I love Quora because every once in a while there's a great question and I love to really get my teeth into answering it, but most of those questions are written as if they were four-year-olds from another dimension. What is the appropriate number of words to put on a resume? Huh? This is the same thinking that puts you that metric that says this is the optimum num uh, length of a blog post because that same article also quotes the op optimum length of a movie. Because we all know I like Star Wars because it's exactly two hours and 11 minutes. Two hours and nine minutes, it would have been a piece of crap. Star Wars, right? Two minutes less or two minutes more, man, it just would have sucked. I don't know why anybody watches that stupid Godfather movie. Jaws, whatever, right? It's not about the length. You're optimizing. Just the fact that you can measure these things doesn't mean that you're measuring something that matters. It just means you're measuring facts. You're, you're measuring and finding correlations that are meaningless, right? The fact that you can email people all the time doesn't mean you should. The fact that you can measure everything doesn't mean there's any value in measuring it. How long should a resume be? As long as it needs to be. How long should my LinkedIn profile be? As long as it needs to be to tell your story and get people engaged with you. How long does your blog post need to be? Until you've completed, you've answered the question. You look at Anil Patel, whose blog posts are like the war and peace of whatever subject he's decided to write. No matter how arcane, no matter how niche focused, it is the biggest annotated 
everything in the kitchen sink and the kitchen sink still has the faucet connected to it and it's a good faucet everything is on this blog post they are thousands of words and he pounds these things out once a week math would tell you the optimum length of a blog post is 400 500 600 words and he's like that's a that's my intro dude and i get that he's trying to tell a story he's trying to answer a question he's trying to complete the thought as complete he's, as he can possibly make it. And you know what? He's famous because of it. I mean, literally famous. Go Google Neil Patel. I'll put a link in here. The dude knows everything about these subjects he focuses on. And he's famous. All his, con- his content gets hundreds of thousands and millions of views. It's amazing content. They'll tell you the optimum length of a podcast may be 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. And yet Tim Ferriss is going to hit 400 million downloads. And some of his hit three hours. My favorite podcast is the Dana Gould Hour because it's a comedian who just talks a lot with a bunch of friends and it's pretty well produced and there's a history segment in it and there's a goofy uh, pop culture reference in the middle of it and some of them crack three hours. It takes me a week to listen to them. They're great. He doesn't do it every day (laughs) because that's insane. He does them once a month. But it's worth it. When he's got something worth saying, I'm ready to listen. If we focus on the cadence, if we focus on the process, if we focus on how do we optimize this process to meet maximum impact, blah, 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 wrong. It's like saying, what is the optimum duration between phone calls to your best friend? Hmm? To your mom, right? What is the optimum amount of time between the phone calls when you call your mom? Is it every other day? Is it every week? Is it every other week? Is it every month? What is the optimum amount of time? And frankly, if you even begin to pretend to answer that question, what happens during Christmas? What happens on your birthday when it's not exactly on that day? Do you not call because it's not optimum? Of course not. You have something to talk about. It's your birthday. It's her birthday. It's, it's, it's Christmas. It's, it's, it's Hanukkah. It's Ramadan. I don't know. Whatever holiday you celebrate with your family. I don't know. What optimum duration? What optimum distance? That's bullshit. And you excuse my language, but I mean utter and complete and total outrageous bullshit. If you have something to say, you pick up the phone and you call mom, you call your best friend, you do the thing. If you have something worth sharing, if you have made an amazing discovery, if you've won, the company has won some sort of Nobel level prize, if you have changed CEOs and it changes the direction of the company and now you're doing this thing or you've launched a new culture and you've doing it, whatever it is, if you've got something worth talking about and worth sharing that you think other people want to read, I mean legitimately want to read, send it. And if you don't, don't. <laughs> I mean, it's not that hard. If it's worth sharing, share it. If it's not worth sharing, don't. Now, that means when you scrape all of that away, and if you've been listening this long, thanks for hanging in with me. If you scrape all of that away, you realize you are no longer a passive participant. When you are a slave to the editorial calendar, when you have to write X number of tweets and X number of Facebook posts a week, whatever it is, whatever your cadence says it is, you have to write X number of emails to candidates every quarter. If you are a slave to your calendar, you are no longer beholden to quality. There is no expectation for quality because the calendar is the master. You are the slave, the calendar is the master. The calendar dictates you will write a Facebook post whether it's good or not. Great, I did it. And whether it's good or not is code for so it doesn't have to be good. And guess what? That means it never has to be good. Uh Uh-oh. 
What's the value of perpetually sending not good content? What is the value of being a slave to the editorial calendar? None. In fact, negative zero because it actually putting stuff out there that people don't care about or people don't want to read is going to kill your, your employer brand, especially if your employer brand is we care about our customers or we care about our staff or we're really smart and we know what we're talking about or we want to educate you or whatever your positioning might be. There it is. You're going to kill it. Your good intentions of managing a process and managing the inputs kills the output to the point of you should never have done it to begin with. Oops. <laughs> Crap. Now what? Well, let me tell you now what. If you divorce yourself from the editorial calendar, if you stop, go find yourself a holy book, document, statue, TV show, whatever you got, put your hand on it, Put the other hand on your heart and say, I promise to not send content until it's worth sharing. Congratulations. You have made the first step towards being amazing at your job or more amazing. Maybe you're pretty darn good at your job. I don't know you. You've made the first step. Why? Because now if the master is quality of content, ha it's on you to make sure it's quality. Right? If we demand that a Facebook post has to go out F X number of months, whether it's good or not, it doesn't have to be good. And guess what? You're not gonna, it's not worth spending the time to make it good because nobody's measuring good. Nobody cares about good. They care about quantity. They, if you decide you care about quality, meaning the metrics are number of people who share, number of people who click, number of people who engage, number of people who join your talent pool, number of people who whatever, and, and do not put apply there because we all know that the duration, the distance between this email or this tweet or this Facebook post and an application is like light years. No one sees a tweet and says, oh, cool, I'm going to apply. Nope, doesn't work that way, and you know it. But what it does say is like, huh, interesting. I had no idea. I'd like to learn more. Congratulations. You've done your job stellarly, excellently. You've done exactly what someone, I hope, is paying you to do and do that. So if it is on you to determine quality, congratulations. You now have agency to decide what quality is. You have, decide, you have power over deciding what's worth sharing. What would you as a candidate want to see? What would you as a qualified lead want to read? What would make you go, huh, that's super cool. I'm glad I'm following this email. Again, not, not apply. It's not about apply. It's about how do I maintain the positive sentiment of this brand? Maybe then it means that it's on you to go find those stories. <laughs> Things got interesting, didn't they? It's not on you to simply be a passive reporter. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Thanks, good night. It's not the nightly news. You don't have 22 minutes of talking head time to fill in. You are going to say something when, you have, when there is something worth saying. So go find something worth saying. Go manufacture it. Go interview someone. Go start a podcast. Go set up a, an event. Create the things worth talking about. That, for my money, is truly employer brand management. It's not being a passive reporter on the sidelines. It's not sitting around and waiting for good shit to happen. It's about understanding the company and finding ways to activate it, to turn it on, to reinforce it, to explode it, to illuminate it, to illustrate it, to elucidate it. And it's like I have a thesaurus on my desk and I don't. I just don't have a thesaurus on my desk. I have a, you know, a tab somewhere for it, but you know, on my browser. But no, it's your job to make it patently obvious 
to make it amazing, to make it stellar, to make it interesting, to make it engaging, to make it attractive, to make it glow in the freaking dark. That's your job. Take what's great about that company and turn the volume way up. Take what's not so great about the company and find ways to remind people that it's okay, that it's not perfect because no company is perfect. That this is the, the facts of life. You take the good and the bad, right? You, you put them together. Every company has goods and bads and this is the goods for the people who've chosen to work here, who cho choose to stay here, the goods outweigh the bad. So talk about them both because the person who wants to go in is also searching for a bag, is also researching a backpack, and wants all the information. They want a full 20-minute video teardown about this job. Because when they see that, they will be filled with certainty that this is exactly the kind of job they want or exactly the kind of job they don't want. And either way, the answer is good for you. That's what employer brand truly is. It's about understanding what it is, putting the spotlight on what is great about it, explaining why what's bad about it isn't all that bad for some people and really talking it up to engaging to turning to, to make I mean, that's why i talk about sometimes employer brand is the first step to employee engagement and the two things are effectively two different sides of the same coin if your employees are engaged you have a brand worth talking about if they're not well meh, lipstick on a pig time that's the trick that's your job and that's why I love what I do. All right. That's what I got. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I'll see you next week. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show or just, you know, general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>